what happens when your worst fear becomes your reality. Hi, I'm Brent Cassidy. Welcome to the Nightmare Success In and Out podcast, where we explore how to overcome your fears and nightmares and set yourself free. We're going to be exploring this topic with guys that was in Leavenworth with and others who survived their own nightmare. These stories can be inspiring, sometimes sad. There's some humor, but hopefully you can come away with a nugget of something that'll help you knock down some of the prisons you built up in your own mind. Welcome back, Nightmare Success listeners. Uh, I've, got a, I've got a treat for you today. Matt Cox is my guest, and I was lucky enough, I was on Matt's uh, show, was that Monday? I think it was Monday. Mm-hmm. And um, so Matt, very interesting guy. He, he uh, probably, if you guys ever watched the movie uh, Catch Me If You Can with, um, uh, let's see, who was in that? Uh, Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio. DiCaprio. How in the world could I forget that name? Fascinating show, but... Uh, Matt Cox kind of lived that life. He's he's the author of several books. He's the host of uh, Inside True Crime podcast. He was more or less known as one of the mastermind mortgage fraud in the south of uh, Southwest area, really the United States. Once it kind of got going, um, you know, Dateline called him the modern day Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, he's been he's been chronicled on so many different things: Dateline, NBC, CNBC, American Greed, Fortune Magazine, all kinds of others. Um, fascinating. He he's he's even involved, and I don't even know if this has gotten resolved, but he uh, was involved with writing the memoir of the guy that the movie actually became War Dogs, and uh, the guy I think was with him at the time. Uh, that he served time with, he said, "Hey, I'll write this and let me get half of this or whatever," and and that didn't happen. And I think they're still working that out. But the War Dogs movie became a huge deal. It was a it was a big big movie with Bradley Cooper and all the stars in it. So um, fascinating. I I've, <laughs> I was a guest on his show, but I was so interested to know. I want to know about Matt Cox. So Matt, welcome in, man. Thanks for being here. All right. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so, the War Dogs thing. Yes, by the way, that's I'm curious. Yeah, I set, we settled that after I got out of prison. Okay. I, it was Ephraim Devaroli is the name of the character that Jonah Hill plays. Yeah, Jonah Hill. I yeah. wrote Yeah, I wrote his memoir. So it did get settled because I couldn't tell from reading uh, up on all this because, you know, you got out in 2019, so I didn't know, you know, it hasn't been that long. And thank God you weren't in there with COVID. I've, I've interviewed and talked to so many guys that have – we're in prison when COVID hit. And I mean, prison's a horrible place yeah. <laughs> all the time, but having all those COVID restrictions and then having the, the CEOs just having free reign to enforce whatever they wanted to, because it was convenient for them it had to have been a nightmare, but you didn't have to go through that. I didn't either, which is fantastic. No, but I, I, you know, kept in touch with a bunch of guys. Everybody's telling me, you know, they're, they're just, they're using COVID now as an excuse to not let them go to the wreck yard. Not that they've canceled all the programs. They've got them locked up all the time now. And they're like, and they're just saying, Oh, COVID, COVID, COVID. Yeah. It's a code. It's code word for no freedom, even in prison. Anything that you thought you might like as a release of sometime escape of the mind. No, we're just going to call it COVID. And, you know, there, there were bad things in prison. I mean, the guys that would come in, we had a scabies run that was bad, you know, just, yeah. and they, they loved to lock down 
and and make it. You know, I think those guys got knocked locked down for like two weeks in that place, and I luckily was in the the uh, the story below them, but they were that was a bad deal. Anyway, I got off on this, Matt. So tell me, um, because you know somebody that has lived the life you have. I mean, your life is like a movie. When you were growing up as a kid, were you living kind of a normal kid life? What was your life like growing up as a kid? No, because I didn't really go to public school. Like I went to public school initially and I failed like the second grade. And, um, you know, I I had a a learning disability. And so I ended up having to go to special schools that were small, you know, schools that were an hour away from where we lived or 45 minutes away from where we lived. So, you know, I grew up, I didn't have friends in the neighborhood. Yeah. I, there's a barely any kids my age at the school. So, you know, there's a schools with 25, 30 kids in them. Did they diagnose that pretty early with you with the dyslexia? The, with yeah, the it was, I had done really well on all of the, um, you know, on all the IQ tests. Yeah. So, I, it, so they didn't understand, like you, I had like 139 and 140, you know, IQ. And they were saying, you know, this is kind of wicked smart. Yeah. But he could barely read mm-hmm. if at all he's, you know, and, and it, so they, they did several tests, obviously it was just a battery of tests. And then they eventually just came back and said, yeah, listen, he, we, we think he's got uh, dyslexia and I have, uh, I was diagnosed with auditory and visual dyslexia, which, which means that if you and I are having a conversation and two people next to me start talking, mm-hmm. I can't hear anything you're saying. It immediately becomes Charlie Brown's teacher. So I'm wah, 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 wah. <laughs> I don't know why just that, you know, it's like if the radio, if the TV's on and you're talking, I can't focus on anything. I'm like, well, we got to go over here or, Hey, let me shut the TV off or, I'm curious, I'm curious if, cause there, there's something I read that where one of the teachers said, Hey, you better figure out something to do labor wise, do something with your hands. Cause you aren't going to make it in the smart world. Was that, if I was told that as a kid, um, well, and I know, and in your personality, um, is one I can tell was that something of a driving force of yours to not, well, first it wasn't that, that it happen? wasn't that. It wasn't that brutal. Okay. Um, it wasn't like you're you're not going to make it in the smart world. <laughs> it was it was uh, I, it was in well, I mean, obviously, I'd heard this during you know in in school, but yeah. when I went to college and I was trying to get a degree in business, you know, my uh, my counselor was just like, "Listen, that's so you were a little older happen. too then." Yeah, yeah, he he was like, "It's just not going to happen," and he's like, "You need to figure out something to do with your, you know, with your hands, something to do." Something. And I was like, "Okay, well, I paint." And yeah. I draw like I'm an artist, so I changed my major to uh, to art. Uh-huh. And you know, of course, I mean, I you know, I'm getting got straight A's. Yeah. Uh, you know, even my core classes, I I got it was just a vastly different. Almost everything was multiple choice. And are you left-handed? So, no. No. Okay. So I, I go ahead. What? that's like a thing, right? Like you're, Oh, it's, it's kind of a thing. I mean, I'm left-handed and and my wife is left-handed and there's something where we think on the other side of the brain, um, we're right brain instead of left brain. So you come at things differently, like standardized tests are an absolute nightmare. Um, an essay, 
lovely. <laughs> She's no, I, different. Yeah, well, the spelling is an issue for me with the essays. Yeah. Um, but I can certainly write an essay. Um, well, it, either way, it's, it, yeah, it, it was, you know, so I, I ended up getting a degree in, in uh, fine art from USF, which prepared me to do pretty much nothing. <laughs> Yeah, it was, that's kind of I have a political science degree and there's there's not a lot you can go for, I mean you can become an attorney but that's not necessarily uh you know, yeah I get it yeah so what what did you what were you thinking when you got out of that because you you ended up I think in an insurance job which is kind of one of those things where that's where I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing while I'm doing this I'm assuming that's what you were thinking well you know my father had worked for state farm insurance okay and he was a manager for state farm insurance. And so, you know, one, I barely graduated high school and then I went to college and he really just didn't think I was going to, he was much. thinking more vocational okay. school, you know, go to a Votech, you know, get a degree, uh, or to get a, you know, get a, learn how to fix, uh, you know, air conditioners or something along those lines. What, what was your relationship like with them? Cause you know, father figures always play, a role in he, our lives. Even though he lived in our house, mm-hmm. he essentially worked about 70, 80 hours a week mm-hmm. just because he wanted to, uh, you know, he would go to work in the morning before I pretty much before I got up and then he'd come home at six o'clock that night. And, uh, you know, he came home and dinner needed to be ready. Yeah. You know, so six, six thirty, we're all eating dinner he would go into the den and start reading and that was pretty much it. Like I just didn't see this guy much. And the, when I did see him, the most of the times when he wasn't working, he would go on drunken binges and he would drink for a week or two. And then he was, but he was such a good manager Uh. at state farm. He was like, he was his, he was always in like the top, Mm -hmm. uh, at the top of all the competition, top sales, Mm -hmm. everything. So every year he won the, two weeks to go to Hawaii or mm-hmm. Germany or wherever it was, they were sending these top ranking guys in, in the nation. Uh, he did really well. And so when he did go, he would sober up mm-hmm. for six months, three months, maybe a year. And then he'd go on a drunken binge for a week or two. And then state farm would figure it out and they would put him into like a, a, a detox. Yeah. And he'd be in there for one time they put him in for, I'm telling you, it had to be 60 to 90 days. How did your mom play into all this? Uh, you know, she was an enabler. Yeah. She, you know, don't tell the neighbors, you know, Oh, get your father inside. He's drinking and let's look normal. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was that time period where everybody sure. wanted to fit in. You don't want to be, you know, you don't want to be that guy. Um, and, and so, yeah, he just, so that just, makes you know, that, that makes a little bit more sense than why you had picked the insurance profession because you you'd lived by, by it and around it with your dad growing up forever. Yeah, it was, you know what's so funny about that was that I like the last semester of school that I went to, I went to take there's a the insurance licenses in Florida. There's like a 440 license and a 220 license, and the 220 is like the the big one, and it, you can basically accidentally passed the 440 right okay. so so it, it's like uh it's it's a life life for life life and health it's okay. 440 the other one's property casualty and everything right. else right under the sun so that's the hard one 
So I went to school at night for that. I took a course at night. And then during the day, I went to school about 15 out, 15 credit hours a week. Mm-hmm. And about a week or two before I graduated college, I took the test for the insurance test and I passed it. And I remember, you know, and what's funny is right then you, you get, you get your, you get your, uh, your results right then. And my father had me so convinced that I was not going to pass it. He said, you understand that my agents, I have the best agents in the, some of the best agents in the nation. You don't have a chance. (laughs) Right. He said, so, so, so he had like 25 guys working for him. Half of them failed it. He has half my agents failed the test the first time. He goes, so you're probably going to have to take it two or three times. And if we have to, I'll get you a tutor, whatever. <laughs> I was like, okay. And so I go and I take the test and the three people in front of me, yeah. as you're standing in line, you, you have like the little, uh, the little card, right? Mm-hmm. For multiple choice. You give it to them. They ran it through and they would go, they look at the guy and say, Okay, well, um, you didn't pass. You can reschedule <laughs> in thirty in thirty days. Yeah. Um, and then they would give you they'd hand them like a piece of paper and say, Call this number. Mm-hmm. And they'd go, Okay, thanks, and they'd walk off. Next guy, same thing. Sat sat there and she goes, Okay, I'm sorry you didn't pass. Gave him a piece of paper, call this number. Okay, next guy, sorry you didn't pass. Here's a piece of paper, call this number, you can reschedule. Okay. I give him the thing. She goes, okay, stand over there. And I went, okay, I said, so when can I retake it? And she goes, no, no, you, you're done. You passed. Uh-huh. She said, stand over there. You got to get your picture taken. Get your light. And I was like, well, what? <laughs> like, I was like, what? That, that, no, no. My dad said I'd never pass. Yeah. So I went, drove straight to my dad's office uh-huh. and walked into his office and put the With pass the thing down <laughs> and sat it down. And I said, that test was a joke. What do you say? <laughs> He goes, he looked at, he goes, no. I said, yeah, yeah. He said, my God. And he, and he was like, I can't believe you passed it. I said, yeah, nothing. It's a joke. So anyway, so yeah, I I graduated college and, and immediately tried to get a job with state farm insurance. Mm -hmm. Back then they had something called an aptitude test. Yeah. So I took the insurance aptitude test with state farm and I failed it. Even though they say it's not a pass fail, it's a, we'll hire you. We won't. Right. They wouldn't. So then I went and I took one with like USAA or something like that. I took the same test. They wouldn't hire me. And, and they were so perplexed. They actually had me come back and do it again. Cause they were like, we don't understand. Like you're, yeah. Why didn't this work out? Yeah. You, you, you were great. You had two interviews. You were, they, listen, I went to multiple companies that were offering me jobs. Mm-hmm. And then they'd give me the aptitude test. I would fail it. And then they would come back and they'd say, yeah, I'm sorry. We can't hire you. So I ended up working like construction jobs. Okay. Well, no, I, at first, you know what I didn't, I worked as an insurance adjuster for about a year. Okay. Yeah. For a, a workman's comp company. Yeah. And, um, and another company too. So how did you end I, up? I got laid off. How did you end up finding the, the mortgage broke brokerage, uh, Mortgage world. What, where did that come? Was it that just the next step or did you know somebody was, that was in that or how did that all happen? I was dating a girl. I was dating a girl that was a stripper mm-hmm. and, um, 
She was she a met, mortgage broker. <laughs> no, listen, she met a guy who owned a mortgage company. Oh. At the club. Wow. Okay. With four or five other executives of this lender. It wasn't even a mortgage brokerage, but it was a lender. Okay. And mortgage they lender. talked to her. Now, keep in mind, she was about to graduate with her degree in finance. Okay. So, you know, you know how it's always the, the cliche. It's always a story. Oh, She's putting herself through college. and yeah, Right. Yeah. yeah. She was putting herself through college. She was putting herself through college. Right. For three years. Yeah. So she's about to graduate. So they talked to her. And uh, yeah, so so the guy was like, he explained what she did and the fact that she could follow what he did mm-hmm. and understood it. And they realized, wow, you really are taking classes. Like you're, yeah, um, you're smart. And so they said, look, why don't you come to work? For, for us. And so the owner of the company hired her as a broker and she told me, you have got to do this. You have to, you have that's to be a mortgage broker. That's how you got into it. That's, so that's what I did. I, I went, I became a mortgage broker. So you become the mortgage broker things. You're in the wild, wild west of uh, mortgages at that time. It was at like 2000 something. No, 2000. It was, it was like 1999. 1999. Yeah. The world, the world was going into uh, the next few years is going to be whatever historic history will call all that. But so you get into that. Do you like it? Yeah, I loved it. I, I was I was great at it. Yeah. Like I, it was like I'd never been that good at anything. You know, maybe with the exception of like art or I, I'd never really thrived at anything like I did with. Uh, um, I mean, that's how it reads. It sounds like you came into this world and you were really good at it. And then there were some gray lines or gray areas where a lot of people were playing in the gray in that time period. And you get, well, I mean, you know, there's no gray, like it was, it was fraud. I mean, you know, like, <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm saying that there, there were people, I'm not saying you, I'm saying in the world of mortgage and what was going on. I mean, at the time that when the world collapsed, there was there was all kinds of things that were being done where people were getting out you know three four five mortgages they didn't have any income to back it up all those different things and all that stuff was going through yeah. Yeah. so so how I'm curious how did this all concoct in your mind of I'm going to do a fraud I'm going to I'm going to make this the very first loan I did the very first loan I did had fraud on it I mean I I brought a, a I had this woman come in single mother wanted to buy a house had a real estate agent gave her to me mm-hmm. and she had 5% down. She put 5% down on the house and she had horrible credit, mm-hmm. but I worked for a subprime lender, got her qualified and I brought her file into my, my mortgage broke my, uh, the manager of the broker's business of the business. She looked through everything and then she pulled like one piece of paper out and sat it to the side. And she said, look, it's a great file. you, her, your client's been 30 days late on her rent in the last 24 months. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? Like, that's a deal killer. Mm-hmm. She was 30 days late. So, and she said, yeah. And she goes, um, and I said, oh man, I just thought, oh man, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. Like I banked everything on, on becoming a mortgage broker. Mm-hmm. Like I, I stopped doing everything I was doing to pay my bills. I'm, I'm now behind on everything because I felt like I would be good at it. And I saw the kind of money you could make. Mm-hmm. And so I remember I was like probably at this point a month or so behind on my truck. I was behind on everything anyway, mm-hmm. but you know, it's behind on my mortgage payment because I had actually bought two houses by this point. Well, a, a, a townhouse and a condo. So I just 
it was bad. Like I was like, this is, I got a major problem here. And uh, she looked at me and I said, wow, what do I do? And I said, that, I guess it's dead. And she pulled out a, a little thing of white out and started shaking it up. And she goes, white it out, make a copy, stick it in the file. They'll never catch it. I was wow. like, are you serious? And she goes, I do it all the time. And I went, that's fraud. <laughs> yeah. and, and she was like, she goes, yeah. And she, and I said, you know, oh my God. And you know, I said, I, I, I don't know. Can I get in trouble? She's like, I mean, worse that happens if they catch it and think you had something to do with it, they'll fire you. Most likely they just turn the loan down. She said, nobody's going to call the FBI. It's fine. And so, you know, I trusted her. I went and made the copy, stuck it in there, was terrified mm-hmm. for about three or four days. It went through underwriting. A few days later, we closed and I got a check for like 3000 maybe 3500 bucks. That's your first deal. And so deal. the next, first deal, next guy that came in, he made like $45,000 a year. So he didn't quite have enough money to buy the property. But if he made like 52000 he could have bought it. So I took his W-2s and I changed them. You know, I altered them slightly. Now he made 52000 on average. He barely made enough money now. And he was able to get the loan. The loan closed and I made three or $3,000. Next person that came in, there was some other issue. Next person that came in, and I started realizing that like almost all my customers had an issue. Mm-hmm. Almost all of them. So, yeah. And you can make it work. So, But, but I immediately started making money. Oh, yeah. They made good money. I, so, it, it, I think it was 2002 when, when it comes down on you. Can you kind of walk me through what what was going on at that time? And did you know that something was coming at you at that point? Well, you know, uh, that one company I worked for, they ended up closing. Okay. Right. So they actually got shut down by like the uh, Department of Banking and Finance and the, um, I think the FBI closed them or something too. I, I'm not even sure. I wasn't there, mm-hmm. but one day just, there was like, no like more. the front doors are changed. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I ended up taking a bunch of files and going to a couple, another mortgage company. And then eventually I opened my own company. Like very quickly, within months, I've opened my own company. I hired a bunch of guys, ran up my credit cards, hired a bunch of, of guys to come work for me, had a dozen guys working for me by, this is by 2000. Okay. By 2000, I got my own place. Uh, I've had, yeah, about a dozen guys, a couple guys working at home, guys in the office. And I still, we started just kind of running a mill. We just started running through everybody that walked in the door. We did everything we could to get them alone. And so now we're doing, I don't know what it is, five or ten million dollars a, a, you know, a month mm-hmm. in mortgages, mm-hmm. and we're just cranking them out. And and now at this point, I'm I started getting really, really creative. So it wasn't like changing a W two anymore. Now it's you don't have enough money in your bank account, so I'm altering the bank statements. And then that got to be a pain in the ass. So I just started making banks online a website for an online for a bank. Yeah. And then I would call it like Bank of Ebor. <laughs> and I have a whole and website. They had a website. Oh, it's in multiple pages, everything. A phone number, the whole thing. So so it would be, you know, bank of, you know, bankofebor.com. Like it wasn't a big deal. I just opened it up and the whole thing was perfect. It looked great. And then I had Bank of Ebor um, bank statements. Color in front and back color bank statements. Looked just like the regular bank statements. I could print out the bank statement showing you have enough money in your name. And then I could put those in the file and show that you had your down payment. 
So were and, you I mean, thinking, well, like, were you thinking at that time when you were doing all that, oh my God, um, I could get caught doing this or you were, I, I, you were I, on I, such a high or such an adrenaline rush that it was just, that's, you were figuring out new ways, better ways to make it work. Well, we did get caught. That's the whole thing is I did get caught. Yeah. I got caught multiple times. So I got caught multiple times and I was just convinced the bank, they'd call up and they're like, look, this is fraud. Like these are canceled checks. They look like canceled checks, but it's a, it's not, they're not, they're not canceled checks. They okay. just look like them or this guy doesn't even work here. Uh-huh. You know, this company doesn't even exist and- <laughs> or for whatever reason. So then what would what? happen? Um, I'd say, well, that's crazy. So what are you saying? You, you feel like my, you think my borrower made up, made a company. Yeah. And they said, well, I'm honestly mad. I don't know what your borrower did. You know, I, I, I think maybe your mortgage broker did it. Uh-huh. My, my mortgage broker, he would never, <laughs> never. That's something serious? like that. No, I've known this guy for two years. He is above board, very ethical. He would never, I'm offended. You know, I did the whole thing. Yeah. But in the end, they just wouldn't close the loan. And we during that conversation, figure out how they figured out what was wrong. Mm-hmm. We correct it. We'd send it to another lender. Boom. It closed. go through. Wow. We go through. Wow. They get their check. I get my check and we just keep churning them out. And you know, you just kept getting better and better. I kept, it, it got to a point where somebody would come in and they would have, let's say had four jobs in the last two years. Yeah. And it was like, you know, this is a pain in the ass. It's easier for me to just make the pay subs and say they work for this company over here that I've created That's made than up. to be honest and, and try and have to track down all four of these companies, get their W-2s, put it all together. That's yeah, too much. Let's just have them say they work here. Well, what's crazy is you think, you know, on the outside, people just, you know, everyday life think that there's a lot more pieces to that that it just doesn't go through because there's some kind of magic system that doesn't allow that. And you were working all around the edges of that and, and that we're just going through, you just had to find the right, the right bank. Or there, the right, there is a magic system, but I, I knew the system. That's what I mean. You figured yeah. it out. So, so man, on, in, in this time period in, in 2002, did, was it a surprise when you get indicted or was, did you know that something was coming at you or was it just like, Oh my God, I here it is. Knew. So I only knew it was, it was, I only knew because, uh, this woman that worked for me at one point, she had went and started her own company and she ended up getting kind of roped into a, a a scam, like a straw man scam where she was running all the paperwork for a scam Mm -hmm. for these Italian guys that were buying properties and and, you know, pulling out money and not making any payments. Well, those those loans got investigated by the FBI. FBI came in and they they raided her office. She cooperated with the FBI. And she ended up having, calling me one day and asking me if I could have, would have lunch with her. I said, sure, no problem. So I, I met her and her husband for lunch. Um, Which was all set at, up, I guess. It was all set up. The FBI was actually sitting at the next table. They were wired and halfway through the conversation, I mean, I just started burying myself. Mm-hmm. Like they, they asked me, they said, Oh my gosh, you know, they know about this. They know about that. And, and without getting too, too much into it, you know, it led back to me and my ex, my wife at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I immediately started saying, Oh my gosh, you know, 
you didn't tell them this, did you? You didn't tell them this. Like, they don't know the W-2s are fake, do they? They don't know this. They don't know that. And I start trying to come up with some kind of a story that they can tell the FBI to kind of fix the situation. And and in the course of that whole conversation, I realized that they're wired. Like, they're just too over-the-top asking questions. And yeah, at some point... They want to know too much. And, yeah, and at some point, her, the husband of this, this woman, uh, her name is Gretchen. Gretchen's husband, like, stands up because I say... They're like, oh, we don't want to lie to the FBI. We can't lie to him. I'm like, what are you talking about? You've been lying to him this whole investigation. And he like stands up and says, we've never lied to the FBI. <laughs> yeah. We may not have told them everything, but we've, we've never lied. Mm-hmm. And I, and of course it was like, like, what do you, mm-hmm. why would you say that? Like, who are you telling that to? I know the truth. Mm-hmm. So you're not telling me you haven't lied when you know, clearly know that I have know you've been lying. So who is it? You know, and then I realized they're wired. Mm-hmm. Um, they end up, uh, sweat. Oh, I, I, I knew right then I was done. And I, I actually said to her, you know, I, I hope you're going to get something for this. Mm-hmm. She started crying. She said, well, I don't have to go to jail. And I said, you know, she said, I have a kid. Uh, I said, well, I have a kid. And she's like, Matt, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said, well, just tell the FBI to call me, tell them not to come into my office. And I get up and I leave. So the FBI agent calls me like 20 minutes later at my office. I go to my office 20 minutes later. He calls. I didn't even pretend like they weren't wired. (laughs) So I I tell him, okay, I'll come down and talk to you. And instead I go get, and I get an attorney, pay an attorney $75,000. And that attorney ends up negotiating a plea deal where I plead guilty to wire fraud. And I, agree to not renew my license and I couldn't run the mortgage company anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that was it. Like I didn't, you know, I didn't at that time, I didn't cooperate against my, what, what they wanted me to do. My, my lawyer was telling me I could do what's called a pretrial intervention mm-hmm. where he was saying, if you cooperate with them and you give them more cases, I can keep you from being indicted. Okay. And I was like, and I, I, I didn't do that. I said, no, I don't want to do that. I don't, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, you know, I've seen the Godfather. Yeah. I'm going to keep my mouth quiet. I'm not keep my mouth. Stand up guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The stand up guy, which, you know, looking back now, if I had known then what I knew now, sure. You know, I would have pulled a, a, a pickup truck up to my office in the middle of the Friday meeting mm-hmm. with the 12 guys, what 10 or 12 guys standing there walked in with a, with a dolly and loaded up the file cabinets and driven them straight to the FBI's office mm-hmm. and cooperated against every single one of those guys. Because every single one of those guys, when things started going bad, immediately started cooperating against me. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, you know, and everybody, like everybody I know across the board has, cooperated well and it scares people to death i mean that when people sit and on on their doorstep and say hey by the way if you don't help us out you're going to prison and it changes ter- it changes terrifying. people's uh way they say they're going to act and how they're going to act and how, how how they see you as friends and so on and so forth but interesting that you didn't do that but so i think is is the next step to this though matt and i i, I couldn't really quite Make sure that I was piecing this together right. You get indicted, you you plea, 
is it right after that 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 you say I'm out of here? Like you well, take like, when knows. do you become the when do you become the fugitive that ends up no, being the no, guy? No, no, that doesn't that doesn't happen for another year and a half. Or okay, so, so where do you go is, after this? Well, I don't go anywhere. I mean, I'm still basically running the mortgage company. I've sold it. To, I sell it to a friend of mine on paper. Who okay. Was a, he was an accountant. So you uh, or, keep that. You have somebody else that's in, it's in their t- title in their name and they're doing what you are not supposed to be doing because you're not licensed. Right. So yeah. we open up another company as a development company and I decide that I'm going to raise money for this company and I'm going to start developing new properties in, a, in an area of Tampa called Ybor City. And I thought, well, how can I raise the money to do this? Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I'll just run a scam. Like I've, I've been changing documents here and there, but these have all been legitimate, real people. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to, you know, I, 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 by that point I knew the system so well that I decided I was just going to start creating synthetic identities mm-hmm. and we called them, you know, phantom borrowers. So I was going to start creating my own borrowers. And so what I did was I, I figured out how to get social security to issue me social security numbers to people that don't exist. It's interesting. Um, Cause that's the most important number. Yeah. So what I did was I, I got birth certificates, I started creating birth certificates, fake birth certificates. You know, I ordered the, um, order the security paper and then I get, uh, I, I get shot records. Like I created a shot record. And so, you know, I had to buy all these, it's complicated, but I had to, to create a, a, a birth certificate and a fake shot record for a child that would be, let's say nine or 10 months old. Because if you, if the child's over 12 months old, you have to come in with the kid. You can bring your birth certificate, your driver, your driver's license, your birth certificate and your child who's two years old. But if he's under 12 months old, you can just come in with a shot record. Hmm. So I came in with a shot record, birth certificate, and I convinced Social Security to issue me a Social Security number to my 10-month-old daughter mm-hmm. or son. And then I would take that Social Security number and I would order three secured credit cards. So I would go online and apply for some credit cards, get denied. That would create a credit profile. I'd then order um, three secured credit cards and I'd get those credit cards and I'd start making the payments. Well, after like six months, you have, you end, I'd end up with like seven, 10, seven, 20. Yeah, you end up with good credit. credit. Yeah. Right. And it's new credit, but it's still, you only yeah. needed a 620 okay. credit score at that time. So I've got 700. So I then, of course, I'll, I would then have this person, uh, they would work at it. They'd work a job. I could make their W-2s and pay subs. I had a job. I had an employee, employment company set up mm-hmm. to employ them. I had, uh, I had websites. I had uh, I had a management company that could verify their employment. So I would do all of these things. You know, all these were legitimate companies that were set up. And so I would I would create these different characters, these are some different synthetic identities, and they would I would go out and I'd buy a property for let's say fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So buying a property in Ebor City for fifty thousand dollars is you know it's a piece of crap. Mm-hmm. And so I can't get it appraised for much more than I bought it. So I figured what I needed to do is I need to buy a bunch of properties in each person's name. And then when I buy the property, I'll record the, the sales price of that property. Instead of 
buying it for 50,000 and recording it at 50,000. I'm going to buy it at 50,000 and record it at 200,000. Okay. So I'd buy a property for 40,000, record it at 190, buy one for 55,000, record it at 220, another one at 190, all within this one little crappy area, area called yeah. Ebor City. And so I start I I bought all of these houses in these different people's names and recorded the value and what that did was it 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 drove the value in that area up all the comps. The roof. Yeah. Right. So the comparable sales are are sh- shoot way up. Sure. And now my guy who bought five houses for 50,000 a piece, those houses are now worth over a million dollars. So I would then have him refinance the properties, which he doesn't exist. So he right. can't even no, find the paperwork. And you make up really funny character names with this that, uh, I don't know if you yeah, did that. I, I don't up. know if you did that because you thought this is so fun. You know, I'm going to take Tarantino's characters and <laughs> name them out. Or I'm going to do Simpsons. I mean, you you were you were playing an edgy game, Matt, and then you kind of made it into fun for you, I think, because these characters were characters that anybody could have looked up, but you used them as synthetic characters, and they were buying properties. Yeah, I wasn't really thinking that far in advance. It, it initially. Initially, the, the guy's names were, were normal names. Like yeah. the first few I did, it we was used like colors you know, for a while. Like Mr. Green. No, no, that's what it ended up being. Initially, oh, it yeah, was right, like right. Alan. It was Alan Duncan, yeah. Joel Cologne, okay. uh, just normal people. Then it, I saw the movie Ward. Uh, I saw the movie. I'm sorry, um, Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs yeah. by uh, Quentin Tarantino, yeah. and I ended up naming like the first guy was named like uh, Lee Black. Uh-huh. And then it became James Red, and there was um, Mr. Green. there was Brandon Green and William Blue and Michael White. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's it's it got it just got more and more. Well, I think the other interesting thing is is that you are doing this like some people get convicted and curl up in a in a fetal position, or they say, "Oh my God, I never want." to be in that position again, that was really scary. That was the federal government. I'm going to do everything I can to avoid that. You actually went out and got better at what you were doing while you were in a 42-month probation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, – yeah, I wasn't thinking super clearly. So – yeah, I, I, I instead, yeah, I was on federal probation. I have my probation officer coming by my office yeah. while I'm cutting up, uh, I'm cutting up pay subs and W-2s. I'm making canceled checks. He walks up to me in the middle of cutting these things up. I remember I had like six or eight phones, cell phones on my credenza behind me. There's no reason for me to have eight cell phones. Mm-mm. Never even occurred to him. Like, he's like, Hey, how's it going? I was like, Oh, Hey, what's going on? How are you doing? Um, and he talked to me for a couple of minutes and walk out of the room and, you know, was no good. Big deal. never even realized. And, um, yeah, I, it's it just, it just, I kept getting more and more emboldened by it. Like I would, I would get caught. I got caught one time by a company called, um, South star bank. And they, they realized that the person didn't exist. Like I was supposed to make the first payment on a property and my buddy was supposed to make the first payment and he didn't make it. Mm-hmm. And I know he didn't do it on purpose. He's just an idiot. He just forgot. So by the time, but they immediately investigated the loan, realized it was fraud. 
Um, and I ended up calling them up as that person. And I convinced them, they're about to call the FBI. I convinced them not to call the FBI to let me pay them back because they were about to lose over a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. They were like, no, we'll, we're going to foreclose on the property. We'll get the property back and sell it. I said, no, you won't. You know, I said, no, you won't. I said, the property is worth about 30 or 40 grand. Mm-hmm. You lent me 140 or 150,000. You're going to lose a hundred grand. Mm-hmm. And I explained exactly what I did. Mm-hmm. And they were just like, just in shock. And then they said, okay, can you just send us the money back? And I said, sure. So I sent them the money back, you know, and they never called the FBI. Oh, wow. Well, I think the other thing that's kind of interesting is, is that they make a big deal about a lot of different things that they look up when you look up your name about the associates, the book that you wrote that was a fiction book, but the FBI and all the different people and the uh, journalists and that say, hey, that was him. That was, that was him creating this mastermind of of what and you know it's it's the same guy goes to the same school and then he takes over basically you know the southern part of the united states you know perpetuating this mortgage fraud and and you even talked about it i mean you were i don't i'm assuming you tried to get it published i don't know but people knew about this book but uh it's a big it's it's a kind of a big deal in in the world of when you know the associates is that character was it Matt Cox? Was it Matt Cox? Was that was that you? No, I mean they they. So I had written a manuscript called The Associates mm-hmm. that was just talking about a just a mortgage kind of like the firm where a yeah. guy like he starts a mortgage company. He ends up getting roped into a mortgage case, a fraud case that he had nothing to do with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, keep in mind I'm blatantly committing fraud. The the character in that book is not right. And this is the way I always explain it. Like, are there similarities? Yes. Mm-hmm. But that character is as much me as any of John Grisham's characters are him. And any of his books, because, right? Because it's yeah, a piece of because, him writing. Yeah. Right. Because, well, I mean, think about it. He's probably pulling some stuff from real life. But the truth is, their big thing was Matt Cox is a mortgage broker. And the guy in the, uh, the book is a mortgage broker. It's him. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. no. John Grisham is a lawyer. His characters are all lawyers. Mm-hmm. Those characters are not him. You know. Well, it makes for an interesting discussion because right. Uh, and so what, what they did was they there was a bunch of articles about that. Yes. And they yeah. were trying to say it was a blueprint. Yeah, he, he gave was, it away. He, yeah, you know, it was, was another the, thing that he was having fun with. He wrote it out before he did it, and why didn't you guys figure it out? But I, I'll say going into this, the other thing is too is that you took the risk, not only of being on federal probation, but you brought in women into your world to, uh, you know, whether they call it Bonnie and Clyde or whatever, but you had three or four different women that were a big part of helping you along the way with this. Did that give you any sense of, hmm, I wonder if she would turn on me? Is it kind of what happened in the end? No, I didn't. I wasn't thinking about that. I mean, plus you were kind you of know, you were written about as this, you know, the Casanova guy. You could do art. You had the fancy stuff, and they, you, you were you were lured them into, you know, the world of of your world, and they would have never created these things or crimes if you weren't such uh, this shiny object. I, I, you know, that, that is what they said, but that's not, I don't see that as being true. Yeah. Like that's something that, that's something that it, it's, it's like the newspaper reporters 
they went with the associates was really me mm-hmm. because it sounds good. It does. It's, it's a fantastic read when you read what they've written. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, the women, they were also saying that like I was a Don Juan, I would convince these women to fall in love with me. And then I would, I would convince them to commit fraud. And I would, but the truth is I didn't convince anybody. Like people knew what I was doing a mm-hmm. little here, a little there. Mm-hmm. And I would, date some girl and, or maybe even not date her. And they would just work for me and they'd say, look, I, I want to do, I want to be in on this. I want to do the loans. Like I have one mortgage broker who was like, I want to do the loans that for these people mm-hmm. because she could charge four or $5,000 and charge points on the loan. Mm-hmm. So if the guy's borrowing $200,000. She can charge two points. She can get 4,000 on the back of the loan. Mm-hmm. She could charge like 4,000 on the front of the loan. She gets $8,000 Yeah, making good money. Right. And, and I'm, we're closing these loans, like a couple of them every month. Like I did a, I borrowed a, did this on like a, the FBI said 109 houses. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in all these different characters. So these are, and that, that broker is a woman. Mm-hmm. Several mm-hmm. of these women were brokers. Yeah. So that's not, you know, but to them, they're like, oh, he convinced them. Oh, no, it's a lot more juicy for you to be the Casanova that can make these uh, an artist and, and you have these fancy places and the, and you allure them in to become criminals. And um, what I think, you know, I want to know, like, what it was like to be a fugitive because, you know, I talked to Seth Ferrante, which, you know, and, right. you know, his situation was is that he got more confident the longer he was in. And then he just kind of like, yeah, I don't think they're good. I think they've got it. And that's kind of when he got caught. What? How did it work for you? Well, I, at, at the time I was doing the, the loans in Ybor City mm-hmm. with those synthetic identities, I wasn't on the run. Right. It wasn't until a friend of mine who was a sheriff's deputy showed up and told me that the that they, a task force had been put together to mm-hmm. investigate me. Mm-hmm. Um, a guy that I was working so you got with tipped got off caught. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. He, a buddy I was working with got caught. He was cooperating with the task force. Task force was handed over to the FBI. The sheriff's deputy came to me and said, look, this is what's happening. They're going to come arrest you. Mm-hmm. So I took off on the run, you know, with this girl I was dating. Uh, her name was Rebecca Halk. Mm-hmm. Didn't know what I was doing. I told her the couple of days before I took off on the run, she begged and pleaded to come with me. Mm-hmm. You know, I was packing my bags. I remember I was packing my bags when she showed up and I, we had a date that night I'd forgotten about. <laughs> like I have bigger issues. Right. And I didn't even know this girl. I'd been dating her like a month, month and a half. And she showed up and she, I told her what happened and you know, I had like $80,000 to my name at the time mm-hmm. in cash. I mean, we had like a million dollars, but it's all in the bank sure. or it's wrapped Can't up. Get to it, you know, right. Yeah. Or it's in property, we got millions in properties, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I take the money, run up my credit cards, take her, go straight to Atlanta. And, uh, I run a scam there and make like 400, oh, a little over $400,000. You know, I, I, I rent somebody's house. Mm-hmm. I then make an ID as him saying I'm him. His name is Michael Shanahan. That's I refinance. I know, I know a Michael Shanahan. That's a good friend. Oh of yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I refinance, uh, I refinance his house three times. I get three hard money lenders to refinance his house at the same time. 
So what I do is I, I went down to public records and I satisfied the loan on his house. Mm-hmm. So now there, I'm living in a house as Michael Shanahan worth $200,000 and there's no mortgage on the house. And if you pull my credit, there's no credit. Right. So his mortgage, which is still showing up on his credit, um, isn't showing on mine because I'm using a different social, social security number. Mm-hmm. And I have a different credit profile. So when they pull that credit profile, nothing shows up. I've got a couple credit cards that I just recently opened. Mm-hmm. I have a house worth 200000 I have three hard money lenders come. They look at the house. They all say, yeah, I'll lend you the money. I close on all those in the, within a day or two of each other. They lend me $450,000. I pull that money out in cash. I take off to the next place. Where'd you go? Uh, we went to sh- we went to Charlotte, North Carolina, but I ran another scam in South Carolina. Yeah. I bought that was a the, couple the, the, uh, Montgomery Burns. See Montgomery Burns, wasn't it? Yeah. South oh, Carolina. that was... Uh, I satisfied the loan. Like I bought a couple of houses there and I satisfied the loans in those houses. And when I signed the satisfactions, I signed C. Montgomery Burns, which is the aging tycoon in the Simpsons. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The judge, nobody, the I thought it was cute. The judge, when I got sentenced, the judge didn't think it was funny at all. So yeah. So now I own several houses and I borrowed like $1.3 million, you know, but by this point, I figured out how to, I wasn't making fake IDs. I was just going into the DMV and getting them to give me an ID. Like I could either make a fake birth certificate and use a social security number and get an ID. Or I was, the other thing I was doing was I was interviewing homeless people. I was like surveying homeless people, telling the homeless people I was a surveyor for the Salvation Army. Mm-hmm. And so they would fill out a survey for me and give me all the information I needed to steal their identity. Unbeknownst to them, they sure. thought they were filling out a survey. Yeah. They thought they were filling out a survey for uh, what the census? No, no. For, for the Salvation Army. Oh, for, for the Salvation uh, Army. Yeah. To try and determine where the Salvation Army was going to place their next homeless facility. Got it. That makes sense though. I mean, I, I, can I mean, it did to them thinking that makes sense. Yeah. I paid them $20. I had a little badge that said, and you end up with their Army. social security number, their social security number, their mother's maiden name, where they were born, mm-hmm. uh, their date of birth, their full name, where they went to high school. If they were ever in the military, if they were currently on any government subsidies, if they'd ever been convicted of a felony, uh, if when the last time they were gainfully employed and if they felt they were ever going to be gainfully employed again. And if, if they'd ever, yeah, if they'd ever been in the military and if they'd ever had a passport or identification and in what, if so, in what state. Mm-hmm. I think so, it's, you know, when you, when you, there was a po- point, uh, I think it was in the Atlantic article where they're talking about that you were in a bookstore and I think it was Fortune magazine and uh, the article was about you. And then they, they were talking about different people that were affected by um, what you were doing and you've, it's like your conscience hit you and it's like, I didn't know those people were that. Did that, did that happen? Yeah. I, I had one of the scams uh, that uh, Rebecca Halk, that the girl that I went on the run with, um, we had, we had gone to, um, to uh, Tallahassee mm-hmm. and we rented a house, satisfied the loan on the house. So we rented a house from this, a guy 
like a man who was the ex-husband of the woman that owned the house. He said she lived in Miami. She was retired and lived in Miami. He was in his 60s. And he said he was renting out the house for her. Okay, so we go in the house. We, we actually didn't even look in the house. We just looked in the windows. And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll rent it. I gave him the first month and a deposit, got the keys, and immediately went downtown and satisfied the loan on the house. So now I own this house free and clear. It's probably worth maybe 100000 Mm-hmm. We then borrowed a mortgage on that house for like 50 something thousand dollars. And as soon as we borrowed, we borrowed the money, pulled the money out and left. Took maybe a few weeks to set it up, right? I mean, you know, it really only took a, a day to set it up, but mm-hmm. you had to wait for the satisfaction to get recorded. We had to wait for title work. We had to, all that. Um, so we get 55, 56,000, something like that. I forget what it was exactly, but we get that money. And uh, so that was one, that was this one scam. But the other scam was uh, in South Carolina, I had bought a house from a, a doctor and his wife and re- and then refinanced the house several times, borrowed like a million dollars on the house, pulled the money out. Well, when the Forbes article came out, Suddenly, I'm reading this article, and I look down, and it says that the woman that I had refinanced her house uh, was was in a wheelchair. Mm. And I was like, I didn't know that, you know. And the girl, the girl I was dating at the time, she looked. I remember she looked at me like, "Oh my god, like you did that." And I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! I never met this woman. I met her ex-husband. She mm. lived in Miami. I was in Tallahassee. Mm. I didn't know that." And then the other one was the doctor. They were like, oh, you know, he had a, a, a sick child and you took it. You knew he had a sick child and you took advantage because he was in a bad position. I never met these people. I was shown the house by a realtor. The realtor certainly never said anything about a sick child. I didn't even go upstairs. We walked in the house. I looked around it, downstairs and I said, looks good to me. Let's put a contract on it. Let's go to the next house. We walked out because I was trying to find someone to own or finance. So, but the article came out and it made it sound, it, it was like he targeted these you're people. Preying on them, right? He preyed on them. He knew they were in a vulnerable position. He knew, like, I, I didn't meet these people's children. I didn't talk to them except for at the closing table. I met them. Mm-hmm. And the, the conversation was very, very. Um, Always is, yeah. Yeah, very brief, very, oh, okay. Oh, what are you planning on doing? Did you just move to the area? Oh, we've lived here. We're moving to Atlanta. Oh, okay. You know, okay, yeah. great. That was it. So stepping so, into, you know, so that all happened there. The, the girl that you were with at the time, did that change anything with you and her? No, just, no. It she, was just I mean, like she, her just. She she knew who I was. She wasn't, you know, she was like, yeah. she knew, yeah. you know. Listen, by this point, she's heard so many things you know, read so much stuff. Like at this point, she's not going anywhere. Yeah. Well, walk us through, Matt, when you, when it all comes down on you and you end up negotiating yourself into, I mean, you, I think they were going to charge you with like 400 years or something. Can you kind of just walk, walk the listeners through what happened to you once they put you on the most wanted list and, and how did you get caught? And then what did you do? Well, I was, I ended up on the, uh, I was, Initially, I was on the Secret Service's most wanted one after I went to Atlanta. But then I went to 
Charlotte, North Carolina, I borrowed like 1.3 million. I was pulling that out of the bank and I found out I actually got caught. I was handcuffed in Charlotte and taken downtown because the bank had called the police and said that they, a fraud was being committed. I convinced the detective that I hadn't done anything wrong and he doesn't know I'm Matt Cox. He thinks my name's Gary Sullivan. And I convinced him that I, that the bank had made a mistake and I hadn't actually done anything wrong. You're somebody and else. And he lets me go. Yeah, that's crazy. So you, you just absolutely walk out. I just walk out of the police station. Wow. So, so what ends up happening is I actually, at, at that point, probably within a few days of then, I actually called the FBI and talk, try to convince, try to kind of, kind of turn myself in, Okay. you know, see if I could just turn myself in. I was trying to negotiate like a plea agreement. That didn't work out. Mm-hmm. The FBI was, the woman was not going for uh, that. Yeah, she was, well, she wanted to, but they, they basically, during the conversation, I realized she was lying to me about uh, a couple of things. And I said, oh, well, I just, I don't, I don't trust you. Like mm-hmm. you're lying about this. And she had, she knew she was like, she admitted she was lying. She's like, no, listen, you know, why I, I can fix this. I can, no, no, no. So, that wasn't going to work. I went to Charlotte, North Carolina, and I borrowed like three and a half million there in synthetic identity names, mm-hmm. different new synthetic identity names. And uh, what well, actually, those that's right. That those were actually homeless people's names mm-hmm. um, that I had gotten social security numbers in their names and kind of done a, a combination of the two. So borrowed that money, and I'd had a home invasion, and. The girl I was dating at that point had confided in a friend of hers. Like, like we knew that Dateline NBC was coming out. Mm-hmm. So Dateline NBC is coming out, and I, I realized I'm going to have to leave the United States. Mm-hmm. Like, the, there were articles in Forbes, and there was articles in, like, um, Bloomberg, and there was, there was tons of newspapers, but articles. But I, I felt like those were negligible. Uh, you know, I could get yeah, around those. Yeah. Um, but when I found out I was going to be on Dateline, I realized that that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And so I was going to leave and we were pulling money out of the bank of different banks. And we ended up asking a friend of the girl I was dating. We asked her friend to cash some checks. Well, that must have, that ended up sparking a conversation between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And she confided who I was. And she ended up calling the Secret Service. Mm-hmm. Well, the Secret Service showed up to start watching my house. But the night before, I'd had a home invasion. These guys kicked in the door. They stole a bunch of stuff. And so I wasn't staying at the house. Me and my girlfriend we went to another apart to to a, a hotel. So the secret service was watching this house for three days. And you're at the hotel. I'm at a hotel. It's funny. How in the world does that well, happen? The police end up calling. They me should have been able said, to see the home invasion. They were supposed to be no, it watching the, it. <laughs> it was the day before. It was the day after. Okay. All right. The home invasion happened that night. The next morning they show up. Got it. Got it. <clears throat> so the police call and say, look, um, and I was living as a, Joseph Carter. They said, Mr. Carter, you had, you, I, I had a uh, surveillance cameras in my house. So I caught the whole thing on camera. They said, we'd like to come by and get the surveillance footage. I said, sure. No problem. I said, I can meet you there right now. So I drive there to meet them. And when I pull up, 
the Secret Service come pulling in behind me, in front of me, the sideways, and they jump out and freeze, get on the ground, get on the ground, get on the ground. I drop to the ground and, uh, yeah. That's when that, You know, they, they take me to uh, the local, you know, local Secret Service office or field office and handcuff me to the table. And I told them I wanted to talk to a lawyer. And then it took a couple of weeks to transport me back to Atlanta, which is where I was indicted out of. Jurisdiction. I was in, yeah. yeah, I was indicted out of South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, and Tennessee. Um, so that I was indicted in four different jurisdictions. I went back there and, uh, um, you know, pled guilty and I was, um, I was interviewed by the secret service for like maybe three days. Uh, I think I was interviewed maybe two days and then I was interviewed by the FBI for like three or four days, mm. you know, um, against my, you know, explaining what I did in Florida and who helped me mm-hmm. and what had happened on the run. But on the run, nobody, they knew who had really everybody that helped me anyway. Mm-hmm. And the people in Florida that had helped had already cooperated. Right. They were already part of the case. Right. So there were no, although they could have indicted these people, this is now 2007. Yeah. They said there's like 13 I was on the people run for, that they didn't indict. Right. Right. Yeah. I was on the run for three years. Yeah. It's a long time. So, some people went to jail. They just went in. Like I have one co-defendant named Allison. Allison went to the FBI's office with an attorney and just told them she wanted to plead guilty. And so they said, okay, no problem. Nobody else did that. Mm-hmm. So nobody else, even though they were all on the indictment, they were never prosecuted. Mm-hmm. So none of them went to jail. Like probably the person that's the least culpable was Allison. And she's the one that went in and pled. She. Right. Yeah. Because she felt yeah. like I hadn't do much. I didn't really do anything. Yeah. I'm probably not going to get any time. I think she got like 30 months. Yeah. What were you thinking? Like, you know, they, they threw a lot of stacked charges. Um, you know, you only need like three or four charges and then they stack them and each one of those charges can carry 10, 20 years. And so you then all of a sudden you're looking at, you know, 400 years, what was going through your mind at the time? Cause you had been on the run. So you you were probably, I don't know if you'd ever say you're prepared to get caught, but you knew that it was a possibility. So when you were, and you knew you were looking at a good amount of time, what, how were you, how were you handling that? What were you thinking? Um, what was I thinking? I mean, I was thinking it's a lot. I, I wasn't thinking I was going to get caught. Okay. You never really thought that you thought you'd never caught, really. Yeah. You could, That's how interesting. Many times you, do you understand how many times I've been pulled over by the police and gotten tickets? But I have a real driver's license yeah. and a real person's name. I have full coverage insurance. I'm driving a car that's financed in that person's name. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm not an idiot. I'm not driving around with a broken taillight and a, and a, and a dead body in the, in right. the trunk. As, you know? my, as Matt Cox driving drunk. Right, right, <laughs> right. I'm driving around as Michael... Michael Eckert or as Gary Sullivan or as um, Joseph Cologne, you know, I've got a valid driver's license. So that even probably was even more of a shock then. If you, if you really weren't thinking that you were going to get caught being caught, knowing, 
Oh, it was, it was, it, it was, it was a total shock. Yeah. Listen, we just come back from spending two weeks in Europe. Yeah. So I'm, I've got, I've got Going 20, in and out of the country. I have over 20 passports issued to me in different names from the U S state department. So I'm not concerned. I was concerned about Dateline, sure. but it wasn't out yet. Yeah. And I figured it would come out and I would go to, go to Australia, mm-hmm. right. And buy some rental properties and keep a low profile for a few years and it would just go away. Mm-hmm. Well, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. So you ended up getting sentenced to, was it 54 years? No, no. So if they stacked the charges, I think they said it was, you know, one article says 300 years, years, one says 150. One says if they, if he just pleads guilty to the charges he's charged with, it was 54 years. I pled guilty. My my PSI, my pre-sentence report, um, recommended, got 30 years to life. Yeah. But just before sentencing, they dropped some of the charges. Yeah. And you know, they drop the charges because they, they make it sound like they're doing you a favor. Mm-hmm. But really, at that, if I'm facing, if my PSI says 30 years and I plead guilty to 30 years, even on a plea agreement, it gives me the right to appeal. Mm-hmm. Because what was the benefit for Mr. Cox to plead guilty when he could have gone to trial and gotten 30 years? Mm-hmm. So why would he plead guilty to 30 years? So they, they, they dropped it to 26 years and four months. Got it. That way they could say there was a benefit for him to plead. You actually guilty. got a benefit out of the, out of pleading. So I pled guilty to and I got 26 years and four months. That's a, that's a lot, Matt. It's a lot. It was I, a bad day. Yeah. It no, a I mean, it's day. a lot to, it's a lot to take in. Cause I, I was, uh, I got five years and that was the max of what my plea was. And, and, uh, it, it just kind of takes your breath away. I can't imagine 26 years because that's, that's a life of, of, you know, time. So when you go walk, walk me into your, where you, you went to Coleman, right? Yeah. I went to, you know, I went to Coleman, um, uh, federal, prison complex. I went to the medium. Yeah. What was which that? is like a real prison. Yeah. I, mean, I, I kind of want to know, cause you, you hadn't, it's an unknown world that you're walking into. I mean, you hadn't lived that life. What, what well, were your, I was, I, I was in, keep in mind, I had been in the U S Marshall's holdover for a year. Like I don't, oh, if you've a got, a, time, if you got 20 but... something passports and over almost 30 different IDs, or driver's licenses, you don't get bail. Right. They're not walking no, you, walking you no, out the door so, to say, come on back when we. Yeah. Right. Like you can yeah, surrender. Voluntarily surrender on this day. No, that's not going to yeah. be your situation. So you had kind of gotten indoctrinated into the, the system. Yeah. But, but prison is different than, you yeah. know, county jail or, or, well, you know, the U S Marshals holdover, like it's actually like a huge city. Mm-hmm. So I go to the medium and, you know, I get to the medium and, uh, you know, you, you get bussed there and you're, you're walked in and they give you, assign you a, a housing unit and you walk to the housing unit, you walk in and you give your bed card to the officer and he tells you where your room is. And they, you know, you go in and you meet your celly and he says, what's up? And, you know, I 
talk to him and he said, what happened? How much time did you get? And I was like 26 years. And he's like, Oh, what's your crime? And I was like, you know, it was bank fraud, mm-hmm. a bank fraud. And, you know, I start naming them all off and keep in mind, he's, he's a guy, he's Mexican. He's there for drug smuggling. Mm-hmm. Cause the makeup of that prison was probably 80% drugs black. Oh yeah. Well, it was probably 80% black. And most of those guys were there for fraud. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sorry for, uh, for drugs. drugs. The rest of them were, maybe 20% Mexican, maybe 70, 30. There was probably 1% of that prison that was uh, white guys. You know, and th- those white guys were there for Matt. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing too, Matt, is that a lot of people out in the world think that there's white collar prisons. There, there is no such thing. There, there is, no. there is not a white collar prison anywhere, but what you just did and how you, kind of broke that down. That's really, especially in the feds, uh, you're dealing with a lot of, of people that are dealing in drugs and, you know, cause they're crossing state lines and they're, do- and, and, that, and those people are very smart. I'm, but I'm just saying there is no such thing as a white collar prison. Usually the white collar person is a severe minority in any prison. Yeah. Back before, um, they changed the federal system, right? The so Reagan changed like the federal yeah. system and, yeah. uh, 86. And in the 90s, they started just arresting everybody for, for crack. They right. started taking what are essentially state charges. Given and, the, the mandatory, mandatory minimums that was just put right. away. Yeah. So what ended up happening was at that time, any types of low or camp that were predominantly fraud, mm-hmm. white, prominently you know, white-collar prisons, you know, nonviolent white-collar prisons, like those quickly became inundated with, yeah. with, uh, with essentially – you know, high ranking or top tier state inmates, right? Guys that weren't necessarily selling crack on a corner, right. maybe they were moving kilos of it yeah. or if they were selling crack, they had crack and they had a gun. Yes. So you, they would take a, and a, a gun. $20 will, will affect everything. Yeah. Right. So I want to know, like, how did you set up your world in there? Did you get a good prison job? Did you use your artist uh, talent ability? I mean, I know you started writing books, but how did you kind of uh, engage yourself in that environment? Um, I Because you're going to you be know, there for took, a while. Yeah, it took a few years. I, I read for about two years, and, and I taught GED. Yes, I remember that. remember that you telling me that Monday. So I, I did that and then I taught the real estate class. Mm-hmm. It was the ACE course, you know, the adult continuing education courses. And I was, a I taught that course. Did you enjoy that doing that? Yeah, I did. It was the first time I actually, other than my brokers, you know, being like one-on-one and kind of yeah. showing them how to go through like a, that was different. Those were disclosures. Like you kind of explain to your brokers how to disclose to a client. This was actually real estate. Like how do you, and like, and I started at the bottom, like what, what makes real estate real estate? Yeah. Like what is real property? Yeah. Where, how do you know that this person owns this property? How does the bank know that? So I, I go through public records. I go through the plot maps. I go through the whole thing. And then, you know, then I, I explain how, why the banks will, are willing to lend money, how mm-hmm. the foreclosure process works. And then I start explaining how to buy a property, how to get financing, how did it. So I went through the whole thing. I mean, it was a, it was a 12 that, week. That's course. teaching real skills. I mean, that's something that, you know, regardless of the situation, that person can come out of prison and use those skills. And that's very rarely. Oh, can you find And they did. Things. Yeah, they did. I actually had guys that got out and sent me money. 
That's fantastic. Uh, not a lot of money, but like 50 bucks here, a hundred bucks here. Cause they take on a class so many times and they got out and they actually, you know, were flipping properties or, you know, they take, forget you very That's quick. very cool, man. I mean, a lot of what we do talking about on this show is, is it, how do you use your experience and what you've been through to be able to, to affect good? That is affecting good. That, that's, that's giving people skills that they didn't have that they can implement into their life when they get out because they've, they've learned it from somebody who actually knew and lived all of that and kind of knew it like the back of your hand. Right. What, you know, what's interesting is that is the first time that one, it, it gave me status. It made me an important person in prison. Mm-hmm. The second thing is that it was the first time I ever had someone that walked up to me and just shook my hand, like walked up and was just put their hand out to just kind of like, Hey, I want to thank you. Mm. And this is this no, is some drug dealer with a thirty year sentence. Yeah, who's massive. Mm-hmm. I'm standing at the door, like getting everybody's name for the roster, and they're walking out. And this guy walks up. This is like second class. He walks up and he goes, "Hey, cops!" And he said, "Boom!" He put his hand out. He said, "Man, good class, bro." Mm. I thought he was joking at first. Yeah, I shook his hand, but he was sincere. And then somebody else shake, shook my hand. And then it got to a point where literally every class, five or six guys are shaking my hand and telling me how amazing that was. Then other guys start coming to me, telling me, my cell is taking your class. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. And they're like, he says he's going to be rich when he gets out. <laughs> and I'm like, I said, why? And he said, he's going to start flipping properties. Uh-huh. He said, you're taught, te- you teach how to build, you teach how to, de-. so we go through the whole thing. And, um, I'm like, okay. And I'm kind of like laughing. I'm like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. And, and, um, so he said, I'm going to take your class next, next quarter. They got to the point where my class was booked for like uh, two or three quarters in a row. But you, you, you had to sign up. You might get, get in in six months. And I used to walk in. I used to, I used to love walking in. <clears throat> and when we got to the part about buying houses and fixing them up and flipping them or, or even, you know, flipping contracts or doing whatever, I would say, how many people are here for drugs? Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, of course, almost everybody raises their hand. Yeah. You know. And I would say, you know, this is the one time that you being a drug dealer is going to absolutely work to your benefit. Mm -hmm. I said, because you're not afraid to go into those neighborhoods. I said, and you have a hustler mentality that no other investor is ever going to be able to compete with. So you guys have been hustlers your whole lives. And this, it's a legal way for you to make that work for you in a way that will make you more money than you have ever made. Listen, these guys would walk out like, bro, they, yeah. they come to me and they say, they go, bro, I can't, I couldn't sleep last night. Yeah, You got them thinking, Think, thinking about and, and everything. You know, I think the other thing, Matt, for you was, is that, that, that engaged your brain and you helping these guys, you know, you want things in prison to help you feel like you, you know, don't yeah. lose you. And, and that engaged your brain and almost really was like an escape outside those walls, outside that fence, because you, you were doing your thing. You were talking your game and these guys are getting so engaged that they're getting, they're getting pumped up. I think it's so cool. Cause you know, so many times you can use, or you can have all this knowledge and you don't have a way to get it out. This was a back and forth that happened 
uh, for you with these guys. And, and I think it's cool that you were saying that, that these, some of these guys went out there and actually made it work for them. That's, that's very cool. Very cool. I was, I did that for about three years. Mm-hmm. And after about two years, you know, I had anticipated that. And I'd been told by my, my lawyer that the FBI and the secret service were going to continue with the investigations. So after about two years or so, my lawyer, I was like, what is going on? It's been forever. And she explained to me that nobody had been arrested. Mm -hmm. And even though the FBI had come out to see me and talk to me about, like I had bribed a, a council member one time, like a city council member. Yeah. I'd gotten him elected and paid yeah, for I it. I read about hired. all that. That was kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, that person ended up getting uh, charged and convicted. convicted. I'm sitting there saying this guy's on the take and yeah. they know it. They have the canceled check. They have everybody saying, yes, we gave to his campaign. Yes. Matt had an agreement with him. He bribed him. Mm-hmm. Even though they have all this, they didn't have enough to, to indict him. Yeah. And sure yeah. enough, a year later, they indict him on bribery charges. Yeah, exactly. Right. But not related to not related my... what you were talking about. That's what was interesting about that whole thing was is that you were giving them the goods of what was going on, and then he ended up getting uh, indicted and convicted on a different bribery deal, which was interesting. Well, you know what's so funny about that is he, there were quotes of him in the um, in the articles where he's saying, like, this guy's nothing but a jailhouse snitch. Yeah. Like, you know, he's just trying to get out of prison. Like, like, listen, bro, I'm, you're a politician. You're lying. Mm-hmm. I'm a criminal. I'm not lying. Yeah. Like I'm telling the truth between you and I, I'm the only <laughs> one telling the truth. And then he gets, he gets convicted. He gets convicted. Yeah. Well, I'm curious too. Did they come to you? Cause somebody like you, Matt, I would think that like the secret service and people in the government would want to understand what you were doing and you to be able to tell them what you were doing so that they could be educated to look for. Did, did they ever come to you and say, I Matt, help us out, man. What, what in the hell, how did you get all this? And we want to make sure that we're smart. You know, they do that with like guys that hack, you know, computers and can get in and passwords and stuff. And they use right, it for but, foreign policy and whatever, or not foreign policy, but foreign espionage. Right. But you know, like hacking, you, you know who Brett Johnson is? I've heard of that name. Yeah. So uh, Brett Johnson's one of the guys that started and ran uh, what's called uh, Shadow Crew, mm-hmm. which was one of the first online credit card forms and fraud forms, really. Um, Brett, you know, like when Brett cooperated mm-hmm. and talked to the, I think the FBI or the Secret Service, like they had no clue what he had done. Right. They couldn't tell you, like he would say, well, you know, you just run it through a socket server, you know, and they go, what's what? that? Yeah, or a CP, you know, you, you, you use this or you just pay, would you just take this and you do, you know, your, they, they, your, your internet protocol, it scrambles your internet protocol or you do a, and he would explain and they go, what's that? What's that? Like they had no clue about any, everything he was doing was revolutionary for them. Mm-hmm. Well, what I was doing wasn't revolutionary. Like it had been done, but I was taking identity theft. Mm-hmm bank fraud, real estate fraud, and I was combining and the creation of synthetic identity, the creation of government documents, the Mm -hmm. creation, and I was combining them in a fraud that instead of me make running a scam and making 
thirty or forty thousand dollars, I ran a scam and I would make two million dollars. Mm-hmm. And so, I Your numbers are bigger. I could, I could tell them what I was doing, and I did. And they had never like ever, not, all of them was like I've never seen anything like this. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't saying that there's a, a flaw in the system and you can correct it. Right. I right. was just doing something that everybody else had done. That was out that, there. There were all these pieces are out there. Nobody had just arranged them. Right. And that was really the problem for me was that they were, it was so easy for them to connect me to everything. Mm-hmm. But there's a system the FBI uses, I guess the secret service uses it too, where it asks questions, you know, is the subject male? Yes. What's the age range? Yes. Was identity theft used? Yes. Was, you know, and then they start naming off all the things that were used in the scam, and it very quickly narrows down. It's it's one of these four people. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm the only number that came up. Mm-hmm. You know, I was told like, look, when we put you into, and I forget the name of the system. I don't know if it's, I forget the name of it. They named it some an acronym. They were like, you're like one of the only people. There's like three or four people that come up. One person's in prison. One person's dead. Mm-hmm. And you. And you're the guy that was connecting all the dots. Right. Yeah, so filled you know, all the boxes. Interesting. So I, what I did do was I wrote, I ended up writing an ethics and fraud course. Okay. Cause you, you have to understand While you that. you were in prison. Yes. Yes. So here's what happened. My, my mortgage, I'm sorry. My, my assistant U S attorney that was in charge of my case, she had asked me to be interviewed by Dateline. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, look, if you're interviewed by Dateline, I will consider it substantial assistance. Now, substantial assistance is the word they use for cooperation, right? Mm-hmm. We'll consider it substantial assistance and we will reduce your sentence. And I was like, oh, okay. So my lawyer's like, yeah, if you, you, you be that. interviewed by Dateline, yeah. they'll reduce your sentence. Yeah. So I, I, I'm interviewed by Dateline. So when I go to, to sentencing, my lawyer says, what are you going to recommend he get? And they said, 26 years and four months. And she said, but that's what he's already going to get. And she, they, what about the cooperation? She said, I'm sorry, I'm not going to give him cooperation. But you told him mm-hmm. he would get cooperation if he was interviewed by Dateline. She said, no. I said, I'd consider it substantial assistance. I could did consider it. It's, it's not enough. It's not enough. So while I was incarcerated, I was contacted by American Greed, mm-hmm. and I called my attorney. My attorney called the U.S. attorney, and the U.S. attorney said, "If he does, if he's interviewed by American Greed, we'll consider it substantial assistance, and we'll reduce his sentence." And she said, "Okay, this time she's oh yeah, absolutely this time." So I was interviewed by American Greed. It aired. We put in a a motion to have my sentence reduced. And they said, we've considered it. It's just not enough. That's interesting because, you know, I, you and I both talked about this on the American Greed thing. Both of us had American Greed played while we were in prison. I didn't ever get that offer. You must have been a lot more interesting because they, they never came and said, Cassidy, you do American Greed and talk to us. Because they wanted me to talk to them, but I didn't see there was any benefit to it because I've never seen anybody on the show that they give any real, you know, they'll take their sound bite so that they can voice over it or whatever. But um Oh, and, yeah, and I never, got, I never got that opportunity to say, "Hey, we'll, well reduce a little bit." But I wasn't—I right, didn't have as many years. Well, keep in mind too, 
you probably also said immediately, I'm not going to be interviewed. True. So what I did was I called my lawyer and I said, can I get something if I'm interviewed? And she said, hold on. She calls the U.S. attorney. U.S. attorney said, yes. Okay. Yeah. I, went, my US I never attorney, even went that far, which was smart on your attorney, part. My U.S. attorney was a media hound. Okay. She loves media. Yeah. Um, but what, once again, wasn't going to give me anything. Yeah. So then I was contacted by a guy who runs the uh, national. I, I, I want to go back. To, I don't want to. I don't want to just walk over the American greed thing because the the how was that? Uh, what what was the reaction to your American greed episode in in your prison? Um, oh, so I was. I didn't see it in prison. Oh, you didn't see it. No, but the guards saw it. Interesting. Uh, and other what? inmates saw it. Because nobody called me and said it's going to be on Tuesday night. Okay. So I missed okay. the episode. But what I was in prison for was Dateline. Mm-hmm. So I sat there and watched my Dateline. Okay. And, you know, that what was. your was, reaction to uh, that? I mean, it was, you know, the guys, uh, I, and I genuinely mean this after weighing all of the criteria and, and weighing everything that happened and everything I went through and knowing the story and everything that I said. Um, uh, the guy, uh, what's his name? Stacy Keats. Yes. Who, who owns the production company that makes those shows. Mm-hmm. By the way. And he, and, you know, he very, is genuinely a, an absolute scumbag. Mm-hmm. I'm an absolute scumbag. Like I, I get it. Like I'm a, I'm a scumbag. I'm in prison. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. But he, if you took the interview that occurred and what he did with that interview, it's 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 unbelievable. I've, I've, it's I've unbelievable. Talked to people like, who've been on it's crazy. Like he he literally just, you know, they cut it. They had me laughing and joking and smiling at places that were completely inappropriate. Right. They had me saying things that were inappropriate. When he would ask a question, they'd take another answer and slice it in there. Mm-hmm. They it was just it was just. It was just a complete fraud. Yeah. And, and that's why know, people but, like to watch it. Right. But, but it's keep juicy. in mind too, I get it. Like I, I, you know, I, I understand like the problem is, is that when you really weigh that out, it, it's like saying, you know, they said I murdered 13 people. That's, that's a lie. I only murdered 11. <laughs> right. Like, like, you know, I'm still a scumbag. I may not be a 13 level. I'm an 11. <laughs> But it, it's like in the end, everyone's like, so, so it wasn't true. No, it was about 95% true. Yeah. There were so like, yeah. 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 Like, like they put a twist, they put a shitty twist on everything. Yeah. But in the end, there's did a, you, there's a realm of truth that runs through. Yeah. Of course. Did you borrow this much money? Yes. Yes. But I didn't borrow it in the way that they, what does it matter? It doesn't. And it's so hard to, to, you know, like when I, I don't ever talk about it. I mean, we're talking about it here, but I don't ever talk about it. Cause it's just like, I get it. It's on, you saw it. You t- think what you want, you know? Yeah. Like everybody that knows me, they don't believe that. Yeah. Like they yeah. watch it and they just shake their head and they're like, Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Wow. Wow. How many years did you end up doing? 11? I did. 13, 13, 13. Yeah. Okay. So 13 years, is a long time. I, when you got close to the door getting out, were you like, 
man, I don't know. It's been a long time. I've been in here. What's it like out there? Was there any anxiety on your part? I mean, obviously, everybody wants to get out, but did getting closer to the door, plugging back into society, what were you thinking? Um, uh, yeah, I was, I was okay in there. Yeah. Like by that point, by after about how many years? After probably five years, mm-hmm. six years, about six years, I was really good. Like I wanted out, obviously. Sure. You don't know, but I was okay. To be, you know, told what to do. Well, I had a great there. routine. Mm-hmm. I, I knew everybody. I had a great routine. Nobody bothered me. Nobody, you know, people I had respect for me mm-hmm. to a degree. Um, I had a good group of friends that I hung out with. I liked, I, I was writing people's stories, which I loved. Mm-hmm. I had plenty of time to write their stories. Like, yeah. unfortunately out, out here, writing your story requires me to say, Hey, you've got to give me 10 or $20,000 to do this. Like, yeah. you know yeah. what I'm saying? So There's I can't just write there. your stamps and commissary and, yeah, but I'm not, they're not paying me. I'm, I'm <laughs> right. saying, right. I I'm know saying, what you're saying. I, I don't have to make bills. I can just write the story. Exactly. I, I'm not on a, there's not a time crunch. Right. There's not. It's just for enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so I was able to do that. And so I, I had a really good routine. And towards the end, when I realized I was going to be getting out, because I got my sentence cut twice. Mm-hmm. So as I'm about to get out, you know, I was very uncomfortable, very concerned about what I was going to do for a living. Mm-hmm. How am I going to make a living? Yeah. Who's going to hire me? Um you know, I didn't realize how perverted the world had become, mm-hmm. uh, just society in general. Like when I went locked up, there were no iPhones, there were no smartphones, there was no YouTube. Mm-hmm. YouTube had been out for like a year or so. It's funny because you're, no, you're huge on YouTube. <laughs> I'm huge on YouTube. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Uh, I, I, so I, I didn't. I didn't know that. Like, I didn't know. I, I genuinely thought I'm going to work. I'm going to end up working at like McDonald's. Mm-hmm. I'm going to rent a room mm-hmm. and I'm just going to kind of, you know, go about my life and try and put something together. And I also had the, the, the comforting thought that if things went bad mm-hmm. and I couldn't pay my bills and I couldn't make a living, I could always just commit fraud. Mm-hmm. Like if I had to go back to that life, I would. And, and the problem is I make it, it sound like something like it's a horrible thing or horrible life. Like I, like I didn't want to go back, but the truth is, you know, I, I think about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Like I think about it because when I initially started committing fraud, it was kind of like to get my, to get money. Mm-hmm. But then I had money and I just kept doing it cause I liked it. And you were good at it. Yeah. I was good at it. You're, you want to be good at something. You feel confident. You feel pride in being good at something, even if it's horrible. Yeah. Were your parents yeah. like, were they, uh, when you went through all this, how did that all play out for you? I mean, my mother went to, would come see me, uh, every two weeks. Yeah. That's nice. She came to see me every two weeks for 13 years. Um, she, you know, my father came to see me maybe three times while you were in while I was in, yeah. um, uh, my two sisters never came to see me. My brother came to see me, but only because my mother, somebody had to take my mom and my other sister would actually pay him to come see me, mm-hmm. would pay him to drive her. Yeah. Like he didn't want to come see me. He's not, he's not interested in coming to see me. So that's interesting. You know, so your mom so the, was you know, a constant. 
Every two weeks. Yeah, constant. Yeah, my cool. dad my dad died while I was in prison. Yeah, that's tough. I think death in uh-huh. prison is, is a dark, dark thing, regardless of what your relationships are with people. With death, just having somebody die on the outside just shows you how far away you are from things. Right. Um, I was never close with my dad, so yeah. it didn't it didn't upset me. Yeah. And I knew he was sick. Yeah. I knew he was sick and, you know, it, um, but I got out just in time to spend the last couple of years with my mom. That's nice. Thank so God that you, was, thank God you got out and were able to do that. So, yeah. So Matt, tell us like, what, what are you doing now? Cause I mean, you, you got out in 2019. That's not very long ago, but you've really in your world hit the ground running. Uh, you're a name inside true crime is a big deal. Um, you've continued to write. Can you kind of just tell everybody what, what's going on in your life now? I mean, so I wrote all of these stories while I was incarcerated, all these, uh, these prisoner stories. Mm-hmm. And I got some guys in like Rolling Stone magazine and I realized that I could option their film rights, mm-hmm. right. Or their life rights really. Uh, and so I optioned the life rights of, uh, of a couple of the guys that I wrote stories about. And they've been, they just keep being re-optioned. Mm-hmm. I got one that's been re-optioned like four times. Um, so, you know, whether it'll ever become a movie or not, I don't know. But, but they do keep optioning it. You need to be a movie. So, yeah, well, I'm, I'm just, I actually just started actually working on that, okay. to be honest. Uh, so I have, uh, then I got out and I optioned the film or the life rights of a couple other guys that I wrote stories on. And I, and I wrote like five books while I was locked up and I've written two more since I got out. So, you know, those books do, do they, you know, they're not bestsellers. They're all, they do all right. You know, they, I would say, look, they, they keep me from having to pay my car payment and insurance and get, you know, I get a little bit of money every month, which is great. Um, I run a podcast. I I'm on people's podcast. I also do uh, inside true crime, by the way. Yeah. But you really, you just put Matt Cobb. If you put Matthew Cobb. You'll find him. Yeah. Yeah, you'll find me. There's no way. You're not. Um, so I do that. I do, um, I'm a keynote speaker at mortgage conventions. I'm sure you are. Brokerage businesses. <laughs> it's funny. I, uh, well, I was going to say I was at one the other day and like the Department of Banking, no, Department of Banking and Finance for uh, Alabama was there. And the, the guys, like there was like a group of them. They were just like, disgusted that I was, <laughs> you know, sure. so, uh, anyway, so I, I do that. And, uh, I, you know, like I said, I go on different guys, podcasts. I, I also do, um, consulting and I'll, I don't want to say TV personality, but it's, it's yeah. more like, like if, if you're running a, they'll have me come in as like a, a, a fraud expert on yeah. a TV show. Makes all kinds of sense for sure. Right. You are an expert. And, right. But I mean, it's not, it, it's the, different kind of yeah so so it's also uh you know and i've I've had several programs about me i was just on uh my true crime story on vh1 and -hmm. i was on i guess curiosity stream they have a company just did a one-hour program called uh inside the mind of a con artist and you know i'm working with a production company right now to do uh to try and get a a documentary done yeah and I've, i've been offered over and over again for that. And I've always said like, no, 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 no. I've always convinced them to look at one of my other stories. 
I just think it'd be fascinating. The girl that wrote that story in the Atlantic, you were trying to pitch her on another story, and she says, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! I want to, I want to talk about you. I want to talk about your yeah. story." Yeah, yeah, that was how I contacted because I was working with a bunch of different yeah. reporters while I was incarcerated for different guys' stories. Yeah, you were pitching and, another story, and she said, eh, that right, and that a little more complicated. A I don't know about that, but I want, I like your story." And that became, really I sat there and read it last night. My wife saying, what are you doing? I said, I'm reading this Atlantic story. She says, you've been reading for a long, I'm not the fastest reader, but that was a big article, but it's a great article. If anybody wants to read that article, that's a great article. I mean, there's a lot of, yeah, that there's was, a lot of stuff about you that it's, that's fascinating. That's why I think there's no doubt in my mind that whether it was a movie or, or a, um, documentary it, w it would be fascinating because of, of how you did it. and you know you can tell a good story too man a lot of people have a story but they can't tell their story and yeah you know, you've got those two things locked in and that's 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 the secret sauce you 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 have a story that's fascinating but you can also tell it that's that's not something everybody can do i want to ask you this though matt because i because you do have a fascinating story and it's been a journey I think you're a little bit kind of close to my age. I'm 55. I think you're 53. Three. Yeah. Okay. So we're kind of close. What do you think is your biggest takeaway through all this you've been through? What can you tell them out there? Um, you know, the problem is, is that it's such a cliche and you hear it all your life is that, you know, it's just that like money just, it really just doesn't make you happy. True. Like I, I had tons of money when I was committing fraud and everything, I had tons of money and I don't want to say I was riddled with guilt or anxiety because I wasn't, I, I loved committing fraud and I loved what I was doing. And, mm -hmm. you know, and I know that's sad and it's a, a, you know, not the right thing to say, but you know, but it's just the truth. And, and, but the problem was I was doing, it's like, it's like, you know, who Gary V is right. Yeah. Yeah. He's huge. Okay. So Gary V always says like, you're, you're trying, you're buying all this stuff in order to impress, people that hate you mm -hmm. or people that don't even like you. Exactly. And, and I didn't realize like that for me was so true. And it's like, it's funny because it was, I'd never been able to articulate that mm -hmm. feeling until I heard Gary V. I got out and heard him. And when he said that, I was like, wow, yes. like sense. that was something I came to that conclusion when I was locked up. Yeah. But for, I'd never really been able to articulate it that simple, simply. Yeah. And he, he did such a great job, you know, simplifying it. And, and it, that's what it was. I was, I was desperately trying to impress all of these people by having a bunch of money and being extremely clever. And in the end, those people didn't, no. didn't care about me no. or like me. Right. They were around me because I paid for their vacation mm -hmm. or I, I got them, you know, this guy makes a couple hundred thousand dollars and this guy made a million dollars and this guy. So all these people that I'm helping, mm -hmm. you know, my dollar amount that they finally hit me with was like 15 million. Yeah. My mortgage company did 55 million. Yeah. So I'm responsible for 15 million. Um, so people made hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. And those are some of those same people were never indicted. Yeah. And those same people now don't even want to talk to me because they're like, you know, because they have this status because they're now trying to impress all of their friends that don't really care about them. Yeah. So, and then, yeah, so I, I think that it's, it's, it's funny because I was happier in prison 
with nothing, mm -hmm. just writing, mm -hmm. hanging out with a group of guys that didn't want to do anything other than hang out with me because they liked me. Yeah. There's no benefit. No, no. And you go in and, there. And I, the one thing I've always said about prison is you go in on your own by yourself and you come out on your own by yourself. And what you do yeah. on the inside there, you just got to be and make it you know, happen for you. And some guys do, some guys don't. And, you know, I think, you know, what's funny. Yeah. I was gonna say it's, it's the great equalizer. I it's a, say it's, it's an unbelievable equalizer. I've, I've said that to so many people about prison. It's like a really weird place of a high school you wouldn't want to go to, but it's, it's kind of that world where, you know, you, you've got all these different groups and how you fit into those groups and whether you're respected because respect is such a big deal in a primitive environment, but you can find a way to adapt and work through it. That's the thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, listen, I, you know, it's funny, and it has nothing to do with, like, it has nothing to do with, like, where you were born or what color your skin is or what mm -hmm. your religion is. Because the truth is, I would meet a guy that was, had been raised, you know, white guy, middle class, and I would talk to that guy. And you would talk to him on and off for a month and realize, like, he was just in his in his core was just a complete scumbag. Mm -hmm. just, there was just nothing redeeming about right, it. Nothing and then about I it. would talk to some drug dealer. Yes. Who is this to me, the, the lower class. Mm -hmm. And this drug dealer was just an amazing guy. Like yeah. he's making, he's brilliant and he's smart. And he was raised in the same neighborhood as this guy, you know, this other drug dealer, this guy scumbag, this guy, yeah. just an amazing person. He read all the time. He was articulate. He was smart. He tried to educate himself. He, you know, you would meet these guys. And what happens is you end up surrounding yourself by people that you genuinely like and admire and what their character is. And you realize right away that it doesn't matter that you were born in Mexico in the slums. He's a good guy that's smart and I respect him. Yeah. And he's, he's worked on, on himself. Matt, I think and what you, you said is, yeah, I, I think what you said is so clear right to the point is it's an equalizer. It doesn't matter because nobody's going anywhere. We're all staying right here. So, you know, yeah. who are you? And then that's, that is who and how everybody reacts to you. There's no hiding. There's nowhere to go. You're all there for however long. Yeah. It's fascinating. Your story's fascinating, Matt. I really appreciate you coming on because, um, I guess the easiest way to look for you, I mean, I, I, I it's so easy to find you, but um, you're huge on YouTube, um, Inside True Crime. Uh, you can look you up on uh, Instagram, Facebook. Is it, that's under, is that under Matt Cox? At Matt Cox? Yeah, I, yeah. It's, it's under Matt Cox or Cox Pop Art. I, I sell yeah. painting because I have a degree in fine art, so I, I do a bunch of painting. You've, so, you've got so many books. I'm sure, is that all on Amazon? Oh, they're all on Amazon. Yeah, so, I've written two books since I got out, and I wrote. I started like I got like seven books on Amazon. Well, I'm going to pick and, up and start reading your stuff because I just got my bike fixed. It's got the bike thing I can read on my pad, so I'm going to be reading some some Matt Cox. Well, I think actually, I think four or five. I got four or five of them are on Audible. I too. know you and I talked about that, and I think you gave me the name of that guy that can read it read did. the book for me. What was his name? Uh, his name is is Sean. Yeah, I think you gave me his name. Okay, guys, uh, we're talking about books. I wrote one, Nightmare Success, Loyalty, Betrayal, um, Life Behind Bars, Finally Setting Yourself Free, a memoir. Brent Cassie, go get it. It's actually out there on Amazon and uh, Barnes & Noble, too. Um, everybody, the um, 
Love the like, subscribe, hit the subscribe button. It makes it easy. It just pops up when I put something on every week. Comments are great. Helps the show. Do a little Apple review, Spotify. If you want to find me, say anything, communicate, brentcasty.com. As I used to say to my people on my core links, writing them back and forth, stay strong and I'll do the same. Thank you, Matt Cox, for today. Appreciate it. Sure.